This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. A reading from Amos. Hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath, so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the epa small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. The word of the Lord. A reading from 1 Timothy. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Holy wisdom, holy word. Please stand as we read the gospel for today, which comes from Luke. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do? Now that my master is taking the position away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it fifty. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, 
so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Please be seated. One of the things that makes Jesus very distinctive is his teaching style. The way that he uses parables. Actually, I'm not even sure if teaching is quite the right word because when I think of teaching, I imagine a classroom setting where you have the desk set up and you have the professor who gets up and dumps a bunch of knowledge on you and and you try to stick it into your head. It's a transference of knowledge. But parables seem to operate in a different sort of way. They seem to invite you to come into them and to discover for yourself what might be there, to become, in effect, your own teacher. The parables, though, are a a, a greatly diverse series of images and, and stories. It's often struck me that it's almost like going to the art museum and seeing all these various paintings lined up, some of which seem to be achingly clear, as if they come from the photorealism school of art. Like, for instance, the, the parable of the, um, the pearl of great value, where we're told that there is a pearl merchant who goes out and finds this, this incredible pearl, best pearl ever, and therefore goes and sells everything that he has in order to buy this best pearl ever. And then, you know, we're told the kingdom of God's like this. And so it's pretty easy to to realize that the pearl's the kingdom of God, and we're supposed to be like the pearl merchant and be ready to give up everything for this, this greatest of values. But other parables seem much murkier, seem to be more abstract or even surreal. The brush strokes are are broad and confusing and we're not exactly sure what it is that they are trying to communicate. Certainly, I think the parable that we just heard comes from that latter category. It's one of the most disturbing of Jesus' parables because it's so hard to figure out just what it is he's trying to get across. And indeed, generations of theologians and critics have banged their collective heads against this rock with nothing more to show for it than the bumps. And yet, here it is. And we are invited now to come and bang our head against it. We are now invited to come and stare at this painting and figure out what it means for us. It starts 
in a familiar enough way. We've heard Jesus start many stories. There was a rich man. There was uh, a landowner. There was a householder. Well, in this story, there is this master who we are told has a manager and charges have been brought to him that this manager is squandering his money. So we already have our villain. We're set up not to like this manager. But that word squandering, it's not a word we hear very often in the Bible. Can you think of one other place you've heard it? Somewhere else where wealth gets squandered? It's the only other place that Jesus uses the word. In the parable of the prodigal son. There too there was someone who was squandering wealth. So it seems that we already have our villains set up. Except in that parable of the prodigal son, which by the way came right before the parable we heard this morning, we got to see that one hung on the wall next to two little pictures. The picture of the lost sheep, the picture of the lost coin. And when we saw those three pictures together, we realized that, you know, the brushwork looks familiar. The, the, uh, uh, the theme seems to carry across. And so we became a little bit suspicious of what we thought we were seeing in the prodigal son because in the story of the lost sheep, in the story of the lost coin, there was so much joy, such simple, good-hearted joy in that they had found these that we then were a little baffled looking at this prodigal son and wondered if well, maybe we should be joyful about this too? Because just as the prodigal son was hung next to these other two, now we find this one, the story of the dishonest manager hung next to the prodigal son. And we should be tipped off already to our own bias in the stories that, in, in the titles that we give to these stories. The story of the prodigal son. The story of the dishonest manager. We're coming at it through a legal lens. We've already decided who the villain is, who is guilty and who is not. We've already decided the fate of this prodigal son and this dishonest manager, except that the parable refuses to quite go the way we think it should go. And so we're left staring at the picture, scratching our heads. Well, we can look for similarities, maybe that'll help us understand it. We look at the, similarity between, the similarities between the two and we see that in both cases, there is this person who belongs to the household 
and who is squandering the resources. In the case of the prodigal son, it's the son himself who takes himself out of the household. In the case of the dishonest steward, he's about to be tossed out of the household on his ear. Likewise, in both of these paintings, we see a come-to-Jesus moment where the main character, where the title character goes, whoa, wait a minute, and starts talking to themselves. Where they both realize that they don't really see a future ahead of them, and they have to figure out what to do about it. In the case of the prodigal son, he decides that rather than sit here and starve, he's going to throw himself on the mercy of his father And maybe by doing that, he'll get a free meal ticket. And he'll be able to at least be able to eat and drink as much as the servants do. But in the case of the dishonest steward, far from throwing himself on the mercy of the master, he doubles down on his dishonesty. And he decides to draw all of his shady compatriots in on it with him telling them to take their own debts and reduce them. And then we are told that the master commends him. It just doesn't quite seem to set well. Certainly no easier than it did in the prodigal son, where We want to be able to say, you know, the prodigal son, he did all this nasty stuff, he went away, but then he was sorry. And he decided to come home and tell his dad he was sorry, and then everyone lived happily ever after. Except that it doesn't say that. All it says is that he figured out that he could eat for free if he went home. And by the same token, Now, in this story, we are denied any kind of of moral to wrap things up. Far from apologizing or coming clean or, or, or making restitution, this dishonest steward simply becomes more dishonest, more profligate, squandering more of his master's wealth. Critics, theologians have tried to soften this by identifying certain things in these stories. In the case of the dishonest manager, they point to, well, you know, when he cut these debts, what he was really doing was he was removing the interest, removing the surcharge that he would have gotten so that the only debt that was left was the honest debt that was owed to the master. Except again, it doesn't say anything about that. In fact, it says quite clearly, how much do you owe my master, not how much do you owe me? Some try to let irony come riding to the rescue, suggesting that the master's commendation of this dishonest manager was said ironically. He didn't really mean it. He was just kind of, well whatever. But the fact is that they don't quite seem to work. 
And Luke doesn't help things because at the end of this parable, he throws in this little catalog of sayings from Jesus as if they might explain what this is about. But they only serve to muddy the waters more. So at this point, you're hoping I'm going to tell you what this parable is about. And I'm not because I can't. What I can do is with you sit there and stare at this picture a little bit longer. There are a lot of pictures at the Columbus Museum of Art that I don't get. But I still look at them. I still wonder about them. I still ask myself, what's going on? And sometimes I think I almost get it. When I stare at this picture, a couple of things rise to the surface for me. A couple of things seem to come in focus amidst all these confused brushstrokes. One of which is that maybe this manager, who up till now has been figuring out how to enrich himself at the expense of his master, he's been finding ways to shift some of the master's wealth over to himself, now has discovered that he can still profit by spreading the master's wealth further down the line to others. That maybe if he extends the master's wealth to these, he'll benefit from that as well. And I see this master who maybe, just maybe, is honestly commending this guy. Maybe he actually sees something in what he's doing that has surprised and delighted him. I think of the story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman. This woman who came to Jesus begging him to heal her daughter. But Jesus instead insults her, calling her a dog and saying that he has come only for the children of Israel. And yet this woman insists that maybe there are a few other hungry people in the world who would at least eat the crumbs that fall from their table. And in Jesus' response, we see surprise. He seems amazed at the faith that she exhibits. And perhaps in that moment, his idea of his mission expands. Maybe he realizes that God's flock is a little larger than he thought. Maybe he realizes that God's kingdom is able to embrace more than he thought. Could it be that God can even learn something from us? Maybe this master looked at what this dishonest steward had done and decided, you know, maybe he's got something there. Maybe, just maybe, closely managing this wealth is not the way to go. Maybe letting it pour freely down upon the people will have a better end. After all, this this dishonest manager lost one household, but he was about to gain multiple households. 
it seems like a good investment. And maybe this master recognized that. Is this what this parable means? I don't know. It's what I saw this time. The next time I look at this picture, I might see something completely different. You might see something completely different. But the power of a parable is the power of a story. We can't help but be drawn in. If I start telling you the story about a wee hobbit who lived under a hill, who was met by a wizard who drew him out and took him on a wild adventure, you can't help yourself. You're already starting to picture this stuff in your mind. Whether you want to or not, you're drawn into the story and invited to look around to see what you see. You're invited to try on the roles of hobbit and wizard or dishonest manager and master or debtor and to see what you see. It may be that like those what were they called, magic mirror pictures or something like that, those posters where supposedly if you stared at them long enough, they would suddenly, poof, you know, and there you'd see it. I never did see it, but some people said they did. Maybe it'll finally snap into focus for you. Or maybe it will always just be an intriguing story that invites you to come in and meet these characters and wrestle with what's going on. Perhaps like Where's Waldo will suddenly discover God's grace popping up in an unexpected place, engaging an unexpected person, and maybe it'll even be us. Amen.